All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Psalm chapter 13. The initial verses we're going to read, and they'll be up on the screen if you want to look at those as well and in front of you. I definitely want you to feel free to pull that out. We're going to read from Lamentations chapter 3, just as some introductory verses to, to prepare our hearts. But the main place that we're going to be in the second half of the sermon looking at is Psalm chapter 13. So Lamentations 3. Pretty hard book to find, got to go to the table of contents or, or use your phone there. But also Psalm chapter 13, those will be our main, our main scripture text for, for this morning. So we have been in a long range sermon series uh, for several weeks now talking about God's gift of limits in our lives. We've been talking this past year about God's character, about the hope of the gospel. What does that mean for our life? Part of what that means for our life is that God puts certain limits in our lives, not as punishments, but as a gift from him. So we will know what it is to trust him and love him and live fully for him in this world. And so we've been working through those limits, and this morning is a sort of conclusion to that and a way to point us forward. Let me also say before we get into the scripture this morning, a word about Christmas Eve service so we are looking forward this Thursday to, to our Christmas Eve services. Those will be at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. There will be two different Christmas Eve services. If you're not able to be here or if you're watching at home and just know coming in person is, is not going to happen this week, the 4 o'clock Christmas Eve service we will put out through Facebook and YouTube. So that 4 o'clock Christmas Eve service will be, will be available. We'll also have in-person options at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Now, related to that, we are going to work extra hard in those two services about alternating rows, keeping family groups or different groups that come, keeping those spaced well for that particular service. So if you can help us with greeting and helping people as they come in at both of those services, if you can be here around 3.30, 3.40, something like that for the early service, or 5.30, 5.40 for that second service, we could definitely use your help because we want as people to come in, as they come into this room, that we have people in here helping them find the right row, helping them know uh, where to go. So know that we could use your help if you're able to help with that. Uh, we don't know what to expect on, on Christmas Eve this year. Uh, a couple of times this past fall, We've done events and thought, oh, I don't know if anybody will come, and then hundreds of people show up. Uh, at the same time, we're at a time in, in our culture, and our world, where people rightfully are being particularly careful, and so we don't know. A few people, overwhelmed with people, we're not sure, but 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock will be our Christmas Eve services, and if you can help us before one of those services with welcome and seating and things like that, we would, we would definitely appreciate that. All right, let's read right now from Lamentations Chapter 3, if I had that to do over again, I would have made sure that was really uh, marked better in my Bible. Got to start seeing the little books of the Bible song in my head here to make sure I know where that is. Um, Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Skip down to verse 19. 
Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers these and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a God who does not stay far away from us in our suffering and our pain. God, that you are near to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. God, as we think about Advent and Christmas this year, a reminder that you did not stay far from our suffering, God, but you came right into the middle of it. You came right into the middle of our suffering and pain and brokenness and junk, and you came to bring hope and salvation and a new future. And so God, I pray with all that we've been through in this past year, this morning, as we look at scripture, God, would you remind us of what it is to trust you in the midst of that pain and difficulty and what it means to have hope and faith that looks to the future. So God, show us that this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So you know, one thing that has happened with this quarantine this last year that we've experienced is hearing from a lot of our families who have been able to spend some more time together, parents at home, grandparents at times with their grandkids, spending that time at home and really developing what it looks like to, to worship as a family and read scripture as a family. And just in the last couple of weeks, hearing some really fun stories about our little kids coming to faith in Christ and putting their faith in Jesus and celebrating that with families who are having a chance to have those conversations. And one thing we know is that when it comes to talking to our kids about theology, our kids ask the hardest questions. If you really want to put your theology to the test, let Miss Amy or Miss Courtney know, and they'll be glad to put you in a kid's Sunday school class, and then you'll find out what you really know about the Bible and what you really understand about some of these, these hard questions. We also know from our kids that when it comes to prayer, and let's be honest, just most of life, but even prayer, uh, they don't have much of a filter when it, when it comes to those things. Now, most adults don't have much of a filter, but they're not very cute, so it doesn't work as well. Uh, kids don't have much of a filter, and it comes out in some really funny ways in the way that they pray. So I looked up some prayers to think about when you're talking about kids praying to God. Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they were kissing right there in church. Is that okay? Seems like a legitimate question. Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that, or was it an accident? <laughs> Dear God, my mom tells me that you have a reason for everything. I guess broccoli is just one of your mysteries. <laughs> Dear God, please forgive me for hiding my sister's favorite doll, and please don't tell her where it is. <laughs> Dear God, I promise to never say those words again, at least until my next shots. Those of you who took the early version of the coronavirus told me that that little swab hit the part of your brain that all the bad words are stored. Um, like you, some of those things that just, just come out. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I really prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> so you hear kids pray, and you think to yourself sometimes, wait, 
you, you can't say that to God. You can't use those words. You can't talk to God about those things. Have you ever read the Bible? Especially the book of Psalms? There are some prayers in the Bible that really get our attention. Where you think to yourself, can, can you actually say that to God? Can you really talk about those things to God? Psalm chapter 10 Verse 1, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 13, but just use Psalm 10 as kind of an introductory example here. Psalm 10 is a version of Psalm 13 as well, but what we call Psalms of Lament. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So many of us are drawn to the Psalms because of the emotional nature of the language. We find in the Psalms, the psalmist crying out to God and using the language that we want to use, talking about things that we need to talk about, but sometimes we feel like, ah, can I really say that? Can I really talk to God about those things? And you go to Scripture and you find the Psalms. So many of you that I know who have walked through hard depression, hard struggles in life, deep anxiety, are just drawn back to the Psalms over and over and over again because you see God's goodness poured out to us through those scriptures and then us being able to speak those things back to God. As you're thinking about working through these questions of how do we live in a world of a lot of pain and suffering, but how do I continue to trust in the Lord and and call out to him? One book that has been particularly helpful to me is a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. Uh, I'm struggling with last names, really any words this morning, but especially last names. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. That is a book that would be so helpful to people that you know who are going through times of struggling and pain and tears and difficulty. Now let me be honest with you. This is not the happy, easy book that you give to someone and say, hey, Merry Christmas, here this is. This is the book you give and say, I love you. I care for you. I want you to know God's work in your life in this moment of pain and difficulty. But, but it's a great companion as we think about this idea of lamenting. We think about what does it look like to call out to God in, in our deepest pain. So a couple, of, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at our fall board of trustees meeting for Oklahoma Baptist University. One of my great honors is being able to be on the board for, for OBU. And so we walked into this board of trustees meeting knowing it was going to be a very hard meeting, knowing it was going to affect people that we care deeply about, just a really difficult meeting that we walked into. And before all of our board of trustees meetings, we always have an OBU professor who will come in and do a devotion before the board meeting opens. And this particular board meeting, knowing it was going to be hard, knowing it was a really somber mood in the room, in walks Dr. Bobby Kelly to give the devotion before the Board of Trustees meeting. Dr. Kelly has come to Emmaus for, well, I don't know how long, probably pushing 20 years now, every year to teach God's Word. And many of you know Dr. Kelly, and I thought, man, okay, this is it. We, we need Dr. Kelly. He's going to come, and he's really going to lift up our spirits, and we're going we're gonna to be able to hear from God's Word. And Dr. Kelly came in, and he read Psalm chapter 13 that we're going to look at this morning. And then he just said to us, these are really hard times, and this is a time of a lot of suffering for a lot of people, and then he began to tell us about suffering that he was experiencing in his own life, and his own family, behind the scenes, and then we talked about where we were as an institution, as an organization, and I was like, okay, and where's the uh, cherry on top at, at the end of this? And Dr. Kelly said, according to God's word, sometimes we just need to come together and lament 
We just need to come together and recognize the difficulty of the situation and to proclaim together that God is still on his throne, that God is still in control. And this morning, as we think about this concept of limited tears and we think about this concept of lament, that's the question that we're trying to deal with. So what we're gonna do, like we've done almost every week, is we're gonna build that theological foundation and then we're gonna look at a passage of scripture which this morning will be Psalm chapter 13. So first, let's begin with this concept and let's think about this idea of God's tears. And is that even an appropriate thing to talk about? When you think about a theological foundation for this idea, how do we connect this idea of God and suffering? And just to be honest with you, this is a situation that has a lot of theological controversy and debate that goes with us because we know that God's character is sure and unchanging. The fancy $1,000 theology word is that God's character is impassable, that God does not change. God within his character is not conflicted the way we are. Theologians talk about God's character being simple, which they just mean he's integrated. So our emotions go like this and this, and, and that's on a good day our emotions do that. And inside we feel conflicted with all of these emotions that we deal with. God does not change. His character is good and pure and simple, and we can trust him. The problem is that good theology has then been used to come up with the idea that in some way God doesn't experience any emotion, that God is completely devoid of emotion, almost making God very robotic and impersonal. And can I just tell you, that's not the picture of God we get in Scripture. The picture we get in, God of, uh, in Scripture of God is that God is personal, and God is compassionate, and God is overflowing with emotion toward his people. We find places in Scripture where God is grieved in his heart. We find references to Jesus weeping. We find the Spirit being grieved and the Spirit interceding with groans. When you think of God, and what we think of when we think of God is the most important thing imaginable, know this, that God is unchanging, that God's emotions are perfect and pure and you can trust him, but also know this, God cares. God is compassionate. God is tender. God is near to the brokenhearted. And so when we think of God, don't think of a robot, impersonal, abstract figure far away. Yes, he's unchanging in his character, but he is near to us, and he is loving, and he is present in the midst of your pain. So we know that to be true about God. Now, how do we deal with our own tears? How do we think about the reality that every one of us living in this world deals with suffering and pain? You guys can jump to that next slide about humanity's tears. The reality of sin in the world is that we live in a world of pain and tears and death. And tears are meant to be a pathway to healing. They're a good gift from God, but the problem is we can get stuck in our tears sometime. And those tears can lead to despair and hopelessness and to a place in life that you just feel like, I'm never going to get out of this dark spot. Like I cry and I cry and I cry and there's no tears left and I keep crying and I just feel caught in this darkness and this pain. What do I do with this? Uh, there may not be no crying in baseball, but there's definitely crying in real life. Uh, we think about, so uh, who is a child 
did not have a parent who told you, I'll give you something to cry about? Like what a great parenting line that is. So your kid is crying and they're emotional and I'll give you something to cry about. I can just hear those words reverberating in my head. We think about this idea of the way we express emotion and we express these tears. Those tears are a good thing in response to the brokenness and the pain we experience in the world. The problem is when those tears become the end game where they become the final piece of the puzzle. Tears are a means to get us to an end of healing and hope in God, but when tears become the end of the story, we know we're caught in despair and hopelessness, and that's not what God has called us to. So what do we have instead as the people of God? We have the gospel. We have a plan of salvation, and here's the great thing about this. The plan of salvation comes through a savior who suffered himself. This is the great message of Christianity. When when you step back, I grew up in church, I've attended church a long time, I come to church because it's what I'm supposed to do, I call myself a Christian because I just know myself as that. When you step back from all of those things and you think about why do I follow Jesus? Why do I believe the gospel? Why do I put my hope in all of this? When you think about those things, The thing that draws me back to Christianity over and over and over again is that we have a Savior who suffered with us and for us. A God who doesn't stay distant from suffering. We don't have a pathway where we have to look away from suffering and pretend it doesn't exist. Our hope is found in a Savior who came right into the middle of our world and provided the path to salvation that Jesus was born into and lived was suffering. He was not born into an easy life. He was an immigrant from the very early days of his life. He grew up in all kinds of obscurity and difficulty, and the pathway to the cross was not an easy path. But he defeated darkness and sin on the cross, and he's able to provide salvation and hope beyond death through the resurrection. Here's what I want you to hear. When we talk about the gospel, and we talk about salvation, and we talk about being a Christian, this is a path to salvation where our Savior walked that path. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever draw back from that. When you are in pain, when you are crying, when you are facing difficulty, know that Jesus too suffered. And he suffered so that you would have hope beyond that suffering. Because you get verses like this. Isaiah Chapter 25, which is a form of a little book of Revelation in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. God will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. If you read Psalm 25, 8 and you think, hey, that kind of sounds familiar. Like that sounds like a, a New Testament passage. It's because it is. It's the background for Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the culmination of that promise from Isaiah. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In Scripture, are tears part of the story? Absolutely. But those tears are limited. They have an expiration date, that there is hope to come. Look at 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, a passage that many of you know well and have probably used uh, at different times in your own life and with your own family. Paul says here, talking about, he's talking about the return of Christ, the second advent, what we look forward to during the season of advent to Jesus coming and returning. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Asleep is a reference to death there, about those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This verse is really important as we think about the concept of lament this morning because Paul's teaching here is not that the Christian should avoid mourning, avoid crying. The call is not to, hey, get rid of those tears. It's not really that bad. There is a reality of mourning and crying and pain, except we mourn as those who do have hope, who do have hope in the resurrection. I want to be very careful with this illustration because I know it can hit home very closely for, for some of you. But there's a good chance that you've been to a funeral service before where you walked into the room and there was a weight in that room where you just felt the people here have no hope. There is mourning and crying and pain and yet there feels like there's no hope. There's no outlet to that. People are holding on to something of this world that you know is passing away. And then you walk into a funeral service. Is there crying? Yep. Is there mourning? Is there pain? Absolutely. But it's a funeral service that is filled with the most beautiful hope imaginable. Because the mourning and the crying that is happening in that moment is not the end of the story. It's pain because we live in a world of sin and death and brokenness, but it looks forward with hope to a future resurrection, knowing that what we experience now is not the end of the story. One of the best ways to illustrate this is just to take the final weekend of Jesus' life here on earth, leading up to the cross and the resurrection, this, this long weekend. And as you think about this long weekend, this becomes a great framework for how to think about reading your Bible. It becomes a great framework to think about for the Christian life. Even when we gather together for for worship like this, it's a framework and a structure for what it means to gather for worship. So you have Friday, which is filled with darkness and sin and death. You have Saturday that's full of doubt and silence and tears. And then you have Sunday with this resurrection hope and promises. And yet, guess what? Even in the Bible, Monday always comes around. (laughs) So you go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday we're back at work. What are you doing on Monday? Well, you've just come out of a couple of really hard days on the weekend, but also a reminder of how good God is and the hope that you have in the resurrection. And on Monday, we live with this already not yet tension. Already I know that I have eternal hope. Already I know that Jesus is victorious. But I wake up Monday and guess what? My friends are still hurting. My family is still broken. My job still stinks. The world still feels messed up. All of those things are still real. They're still present, but they're not ultimate because we know our hope is in Christ. And so within this long weekend, we have to figure out how do we live on Monday with Sunday hope even though some of the darkness and pain of Friday and Saturday are still around. How, how do we do that? How do we do that well in our lives? This is where lament becomes our friend. This is the gift of lament in Scripture. 
Mark Vrogop defines lament as prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament, this word lament that we're using a lot this morning, is prayer in pain, crying out in pain, moments of pain, but it's a prayer in the pain that ultimately leads you to a place of trust. And the reason that lament is so important is that if we're not careful, we will begin to fight against that pain and darkness and brokenness in some really unhealthy ways. Some of the ways we do that, we just give quick solutions or easy answers to people's problems. Let's be honest, we're pretty uncomfortable with people's pain and crying, (laughs) and and we just want to say, oh, it'll be okay, it'll be fine, and then we give these really trite religious phrases that often in people's pain is not particularly helpful. It it comes across as just giving a quick solution or an easy answer to something to that person feels really deep and hard at, at that moment, or we don't want other people to see our pain, so we just live with the I'm fine mentality. Like, it'll be okay. I'm going to get rid of these tears. I'll get past this. I'll be okay. And there's a danger in that when we live in that way. Or we live in despair, silence, isolation, bitterness. We've known folks who have walked through dark times, and instead of reaching out to others, they just retreat. And they retreat into isolation, and isolation turns into silence, and silence turns into bitterness. And and, and we know that's not what God has planned for his people. Or you go through pain in your life, and what happens is you begin to twist and change God's character. So you reach a hard time in life, and you begin to think, maybe God's not really all good. Or maybe God's not really all wise. Or, Or maybe God doesn't really know the future and all that's going to happen. Maybe he's not really in control. And that moment of pain, instead of turning back to God in trust, we begin to twist and, and, and mess with our theology. I remember being with uh, a gentleman who was, was in just his last hours of life, and there was a family member in the room who said, what good is your theology now? Look at this gentleman. Look at him in, in his final. What good is your theology now? Because... In their mind, all these concepts about God's goodness and wisdom and love didn't match up with the suffering and pain that they were feeling. And in that time, we begin to twist and mess with God's character, when in reality, God is our our exact foundation of hope. There's also this reality of, of gender stereotypes and expectations. We don't always deal with this, but depending on your background, you may have come from a background where based on your gender, there were certain ways you were supposed to cry or act emotionally in certain ways you were not supposed to, and we get caught up not in what is biblical or healthy theologically, but just in these expectations that that are laid on top of us. That is not the way we want to go. We have a greater hope, and we have a greater pathway, and it's found in this pathway of lament. And so what I want to do right now is I want to walk us through Psalm chapter 13, and I want to show you this biblical pattern of lament that shows up over and over and over again in Scripture. Psalm chapter 13, let's look at this together, and there's going to be four steps. These four steps are consistent across the Bible in different places. They don't always go in an exact order, but these are the four elements of lament. Psalm chapter 13, verse 1, the first phrase says, How long, O Lord, how long? Oh Lord, will this happen? What's that element that's happening at the beginning of the psalm? It's a recognition that the psalmist, in his pain, 
has turned back to the Lord. That he, in his pain, is not going to turn away from the Lord, but he's going to turn back to the Lord. That that path to praise, that path to faith, often leads through times of brokenness and disappointment. And when we face that brokenness, friends, when you face that pain, when you get the phone call you never wanted, when you get the news that you never expected, when you find the world that just seems to continue to break and crumble and not be what you ever expected, in those times, the question is, will I turn back to the Lord? And in those times, guess what? We often need help making that turn back to the Lord. Many of the lament psalms in the Bible are what we call corporate lament psalms, meaning it's not just one person calling out to the Lord, it's a group of people calling out to the Lord. And when you're in your pain, and it is so hard to pick up the Bible, and it is so hard to think about going to a church service, and it is so hard to think about praying, you have people alongside you who say, let me help you in this. Let me help you turn your eyes back to the God who is good and loving and near to the brokenhearted. And in your pain, when you feel like he is furthest away, he is actually right there with you. In those moments, will I turn back to the Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will this happen is still a cry of faith. It is still turning back to the Lord and saying, I'm going to direct this prayer to you. Step number two is what we would call complain or cry. Now, we think of complain in a very negative sense, so I'm a little hesitant to use that word here, but but it, it's common when we talk about this idea of lament. So this is the step of, of complaint or crying out to the Lord. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Can you say that to God? Like, is, that, is that something that, that we can express, that we can call out to him? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me. This is when we begin to give voice to those hard questions, those hard statements that we complain and we cry out to the Lord. Here's what I think about this concept and, and kind of what I've seen o- over the years. I feel like many people are not driven away from faith because of their hard questions. They're driven away from faith because their hard questions were never allowed or their hard questions were rejected. When you're in the middle of pain and suffering, when you're facing a world that is really hard, you're gonna call out with some really hard questions, some really hard complaints. In those moments, the way we respond to the person who is hurting is very important. If we say, whoa, 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 you can't say those things, you can't ask those things, you can't think those things, many times that can be the thing that says, well, I don't want a God who can't deal with that. And we begin to be driven away. People are driven away from religion and Christianity sometimes because in their pain, they look at the religious people and the religious people look like they have it all together and they don't have any problems or trouble. And they're all, what they don't know is that the religious people have just gotten really good at faking it. <laughs> like we, we have all those problems. We, we know that pain. We've just taught ourselves that when we come together, we're not supposed to show that pain and we're not supposed to show that suffering. Questions are not the reason people are driven away from the faith. Not being allowed to ask those questions is often where the trouble comes. This permission to to wrestle with our sorrow and not move too quickly through it. Uh, That counsel of, hey, before you pass too quickly through this hard season of life, what is the Lord trying to teach you in that season? What do you need to learn in the middle of it? 
And let me just say this, if you're lamenting, if you're in the middle of pain and darkness and suffering, it's a good process to personalize this in your prayers to the Lord. To take these psalms, like Psalm 13, and then in your own words, your own situations, to speak that or give that back to the Lord. Don't live with that pain just in your head. Because let's be honest, we know what happens when those thoughts begin to move around in our head and it will mess us up in a hurry. Those thoughts will get so jumbled. Speak them out loud or write them down. Personalize them. Give them over to the Lord. Say it out loud to the Lord in private. Say it out loud to a friend who loves you and cares for you. Write it down in your prayer journal. One of my uh, greatest earthly treasures that, let's be honest, I would not probably want anybody to ever find, but it is just a personal prayer journal where there's something for me about writing something out that gets it out of my head and says, Lord, I trust you with this. This, this is how I feel. This is what I'm facing right now, but I need to cry out to you. I need to give this to you, and I trust you to take it, and, and, and we need to be able to personalize that. So we turn to the Lord, we cry out authentically to him about what we're dealing with. And then the third element of lament is we ask. We make a request in those prayers. Psalm chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. This is the point where you say, God may not answer my prayer or my cry exactly the way I would have expected or wanted, but I'm still gonna pray boldly in this moment. Because I've turned to him, because he knows what is on my heart and my mind, I'm gonna ask him, I'm gonna call out to him boldly in prayer. Let me give you a couple of things that are so helpful in this regard. When you don't know what to pray, just being able to pray scripture back to God is a beautiful process. Just as you're reading the Bible, to take those words from God's word and then turn them back in a prayer to the Lord. Sometimes what you need is a good friend to come along and pray for you what you can't even get out of your mouth in that moment. The pain's too hard, the darkness feels too deep, and God sends a friend into your life and they pray boldly on your behalf. Arm around your shoulder, texting at the same time, on the phone, doesn't matter. Just in your pain and in your darkness, a friend who will come and help you in the process of praying boldly, man, what a good gift that is. That God has given us his word, his spirit, his people, where we can cry out to him boldly, God, this is what I need you to do. I know you may not act in the way that I would want or expect, but I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna call out boldly for you to work. I'm gonna turn to you, I'm gonna cry out, I'm gonna pray, and then finally, the fourth thing is I'm going to leave at a point of trust. Verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now I know all the verses won't be on the screen at the same time here, but if your Bible's open, your phone's open, let's jump back to verse one and just read this whole thing again because 
Verses 5 and 6 can seem like, oh, no big deal. But, but think about how he gets to verses 5 and 6. So think about this, the whole psalm together. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You're like, dealt bountifully with me? Did you, did you not hear what, what came before? How can the psalmist say this? Because he knows that his circumstances at that moment do not define the character of God. That he knows how good God is. He knows how wise God is. He knows that God is near to the brokenhearted and will bring salvation. Good theology here turns on yet and but, like all these characteristics, all these challenges, and yet, but I know the Lord will do this. Daniel 3, famous story of the fiery furnace. We know that the Lord is able to save us from this fiery furnace, but even as, if he does not, we're not gonna worship your idols, O King. This is that idea that says everything around me looks hard and painful and dark, but I know that this is not the end of the story that I will continue to trust the Lord. And this is not, let's be honest, if you've been in this place, if you're in this place right now, this is not some weird, passive, lazy form of faith. <laughs> this is the hardest work you can imagine, that I will continue to hold on to the Lord in these moments, that it will ultimately lead me to faith-filled worship. How do we live on Monday when we know Sunday is true but Friday and Saturday, that pain and death and difficulty still exist in the world. Lament is one of God's greatest gifts to us. And it's an especially good gift during the Advent season, leading up to Christmas. Let me show you this quote from a pastor named David Cassidy that, that I just found really helpful and, and challenging and comforting this, this Christmas season. What does Advent mean? It means that death, disease, Despair, addiction, homelessness, murder, hate, war, orphanhood, poverty, hunger, thirst, tears, and grief have an expiration date. These are not the original intention for the world and won't see the dawn of the new creation. We serve a God who is good and wise and victorious. And he has shown us that salvation through a Savior who suffered with us and for us so that we would know that what we experience right now is not the end of the story. And I don't know what you're going through in life right now. I don't know. Uh, maybe 2020 was the greatest year ever for you and you just feel guilty because everybody else is struggling around you. Or maybe it's been a really hard year. And, and maybe there's a lot of pain in your family, a lot of brokenness in your life that that. You didn't feel like you could cry over. You didn't feel like you could express to anyone. God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Know that he loves you and know that he has provided a way forward for you. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. God, that your faithfulness is so great and so enduring. And we could stand up right now in this room, people watching at home or listening to the podcast. God, we, we could share hundreds, if not thousands of stories about your faithfulness to us in a really dark and difficult time in life. God, when we were able to turn back to you, by your power, by your spirit, we turned back to you, we cried out to you, maybe said some things we never imagined coming out of our mouth, maybe expressed some pain and sorrow we never imagined, but we cried out to you, we prayed boldly, and in the middle of that pain, we were able to trust you because of the hope that we have through Christmas and Easter. God, as you send us out this week as a church family, God, send us out as people of hope. People who don't pretend like there's no suffering in the world, people who act like they can't cry about anything. God, you send us out as people who are broken over the pain in the world, but you also send us out to be people of hope. God, let that be true of Emmaus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.